I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now my guest today is Saoirse McHugh. Saoirse is an environmental activist who is also a former member of the Green Party. She came to prominence in 2019 as one of the youngest candidates in the European elections. She narrowly failed to win a seat for the Greens in the Connacht Ulster constituency. Some of you may recall a memorable debate in that campaign in which she, I suppose we could politely describe it as, comprehensively got the better of uh, Peter Casey, who was a candidate who was making a name for himself on the back of some comments about minorities and such like. Anyway, she narrowly missed there last February. She stood in the general election in Mayo, but didn't manage to make it over the line on a day when Sinn Féin, rather than the Greens, was the party that exceeded all expectations. In July of last year, Saoirse resigned from the party, citing her opposition to going into coalition with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and the programme for government that emerged from that agreement. Saoirse, you're very welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks a million and thanks for having me. Saoirse, you're over there in the West. I think you're on Ackill Island. How are you getting on during lockdown? I suppose it's fine. I don't like to complain because, you know, I, I do have it quite nice. There's a lot within the 5K, but I just... So... Like I regularly, from about mid-October to the end of January, I obsessively talk about the dark anyway. And I will sit down in the evening and like Google somewhere in the Caribbean, you know, the temperature there and sunset. So I suppose added to that, add the lockdown to my usual, I hate the winter, I hate the dark. It's kind of this one I'm just finding like, oh, come on, please end. Yeah, I, I personally have to say, no, it's only because I... I don't stay for very long, but in, in areas like where you are yourself or even further down the western seaboard, there's something attractive about out of season in that uh, you don't have to put up with any tourists, which I know is not, uh, not, not a good thing to say for the people who rely for their living on it. I know, yeah, but even still, like looking at Twitter, which I know is not real life, but people, at least in cities, are, you know, they can still get food made by somebody else and just all these things. And I'm like, I would actually murder for something from a restaurant now. And I know it seems so silly and I was just like, I don't want to cook again. I like, I, I like cooking, but I was just like, again, again, it's dark again. It's evening again. We're still here. Yeah. Like, it's just like, come on, just open something somewhere. Yeah, I know. I think we all feel a bit like that. All right. Yeah. Um, Tell me, Saoirse, your own background. How did you get involved with the Green Party? Um, I suppose, kind of accidentally, really. I had been a member of Sinn Féin. Um, and the reason I had gotten involved with Sinn Féin was, I suppose, in Mayo, it's Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin. Um, and I was looking at them and I thought, OK, it's the largest opposition party. They have no real environmental policy at all. Um, and if they could develop an environmental policy, then maybe that could be used as a kind of a, you know, 
a leverage point against the government, which at the time was Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Um, and, I, you know, I, I did approach a few of Sinn Féin politicians uh, offering to write environmental policy, which I realise now, thankfully they didn't take me up on that because I would not be able to write a full policy. Um, and just offering to help or trying to be like, please do something. Um, and I sort of kind of gave up on that and I started reaching out to all different politicians. And my idea at the time was, um, maybe naively, was like, wouldn't it be great if you could have something similar to Slauncha Care, but for climate and environment? Um, and in the course of trying to reach out to different parties and independents, um, that's how I met Eamon Ryan. And we chatted and I think then we had a, sec- a second meeting about um, something similar to that. And it was then that he just asked me, obviously because I'm so charming or something, um, would I like to run for the Greens? Now, maybe he didn't vet me as thoroughly as he should have. Um, but I, f- I figured, okay, like I, I had been finding it hard to, I suppose with something like environmental action, because it's so all-encompassing and it includes everything, like every single aspect of our lives, I was struggling to find a clear direction to put my energy in. And I figured running for election, at least, you know, it's a set format and I would have a platform and, you know, it would be a way to, I suppose, guide campaigning for a few months. Um, And you never know, I might be elected. And so, yeah, I just said yes. And that's how I ended up in the Greens. My my short party political life, I think, has been all together between the two of them about two and a half years. Yeah, that's the point of people who've been parties for 25 and 30 years and they don't get elected to anything. But how did you find the process of canvassing? Because it is, and certainly more so probably in, in, in national rather than in European elections, you know, there is no doubt that canvassing uh, is... There's a huge focus on the local, the vested interest, uh, scratching my back, scratching yours, clientelism. And yet, as you say, your driving force was the environment. So how did you find that and how did they find you on the doorstep, do you think? Well, so you're definitely right about the, it being more kind of to the front in the general. Um, because I no money and no experience really. We canvassed a load for the European election. Like I think between, it was mostly myself and my boyfriend and we, we started canvassing in January and the election wasn't in May and you'd knock on a door and you'd be like, hi, my name's Sish McHugh, I'm canvassing for the European election and people are like, the what? When? What are you talking about? Um, And I'd say we knocked, like I, I did get a few volunteers and definitely in the last two weeks I had people canvassing for me. Um, but I'd say in the few months that we canvassed, I'd say we knocked on about 40,000 doors. Um, and people, I, I think people are a bit stunned, actually, that you canvass door to door for the Europeans. But definitely during the general, I found, um, and people would just ask you straight out, well, what are you going to do for us? And I would say, I am going to try and keep the world below two degrees warming. And people are like, yeah, I need a speed bump out there. 
And I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. I should talk to your counsellor or something. Um, I, d- I know I definitely didn't hit those notes properly. Um, and I think some people were a bit surprised when I'd say, I'm probably going to get you nothing. Um, but I'm going to do my best for on um, national issues. Like, I suppose, things like housing nationally and thing, things like health nationally and environment nationally um but i did notice canvassing uh people would say well uh i've promised and it was always michael ring i've promised michael ring my number one because he got me insert something they're well entitled to anyway um be it a medical card or a girl i work out with who i know very well was like well uh alan dillon got me a kid's passport or something and i was like first of all he didn't his secretary did and second of all you're entitled to one anyway, you know. And she was like, "Well, I don't care." Okay, well, that's fine, I suppose. You know that, and that is the game. You have to learn to to promise those things. I think. Um, but yeah, definitely on the doors in Mayo, it was, "What are you going to do for us?" And I think people were a bit taken aback by me, maybe. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um- one politician that, or, or I think he said it publicly, I hope he did anyway, because I'm going to repeat it, but it was Mick Wallace. And Mick, I think, was fairly open with telling people he wasn't going to get them anything. He was going to concentrate on national issues. Of course, Mick Wallace has the advantage of being sort of a national figure. And he was, to some extent, that prior to even going into politics. So maybe he could get away with it. Whereas, with the greatest respect to yourself, somebody completely new um, and what have you, whether or not people were willing to go along with that, then I suppose that places you in a certain disadvantage. But in, in that vein, particularly in light of Sinn Féin's result in the election, did you have any regrets about leaving that party on the basis that you could well now be in a position, for example, you would have had a far greater chance, as it turns out, of getting elected. You could now be in a position to to formulate environmental policies in the Dáil uh, uh, within the main opposition party? I, no, I don't have any regrets. Um, I, maybe I've learned about myself that I'm not great within a party. Um, like, I'd, you know, the Greens did put up with an awful lot of vocal, you know, public criticism of them from their own members. Um, and a lot of other parties, including Sinn Féin, don't seem to have that same, at least open debate. And maybe maybe it's dealt with differently. Maybe it's dealt with internally in ways that it wasn't happening with the Greens. Um, but I look at a lot of my own politics and I look at a lot of Sinn Féin's policies um, and they don't match up, really. So I don't think it would it would be a good fit. And also, you know, Sinn Féin Mayo is very different from Sinn Féin Dublin. Um, you know, it, it, Sinn Féin, I think it's quite interesting because it's, you know, while it definitely gets votes from the left, we'll say, you know, it also gets quite conservative votes. Um, and I think in Mayo, you know, Mayo would definitely be more towards the conservative end of those votes. Yeah. So, we're, <laughs> no regrets about Sinn Féin. I'm assuming no regrets about leaving 
the Green Party in July, I think within a month or so after the programme from government was announced. Do you see any role in there? You're obviously passionate about the environment, Saoirse. Would you have seen any role in there for compromise in terms of, I, I'm suggesting the way presumably the likes of Eamon Ryan views it, in that going, you go into government, yes, you have to make certain compromises, but merely being in there allows you to push through on some of your agenda and that that of itself uh, means you can have more impact than not going in at all. Do you have any sympathy for that position? Yeah, I, like I totally understand that it, without a majority, you can't do everything you want. And I know it was kind of, well, at least internally in the Greens, it was kind of um, painted as these, you know, these these radical 20-year-old uh, idealists who don't know real politic, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I completely understand that you you have to compromise. And to be honest, a lot of what's happened in the Greens and a lot of what they're supporting and stuff, I could understand more if they would come out and say, we compromised on this to get X, Y and Z. And, you know, we know this goes against our policies, but we think X, Y and Z, which we did get, is worth it. Um, but that's not said. What's often said is this like, well, we're around the table and we can push for more things. And it's like, what exactly, though? Just say what you've traded off for. Because um, I understand that's what has to happen. Um, and I also think compromise as a goal in itself is pretty weak. Like you can, you know, you can, I suppose compromise is a balancing act. You can't just put down rolling over every single time as compromise, as being some sort of well, adult like compromise. rolling over, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, because a compromise implies yeah. the other side is also involved. Exactly. No, as I say, you left the party. You have not been the only one. A uh, number of councillors have left. There's a big issue facing the Green Party in the CETA, the, the trade agreement with Canada, and that's something that's looming as it is. But you mentioned about the young idealists and that. And again, an impression from outside the party that was around at the time was that you had a younger cohort of members, including yourself and others, some of whom have, have left subsequently, who were possibly more focused on a social justice agenda than a green agenda. Now, was that very much a simplification of what was going on or was it a misunderstanding or was there some truth in that, do you think? Well, I don't think it's a simplification. I think it's a misunderstanding of what green issues are. Right. Because um, I, I did see that lots, this, uh, you know, social justice versus yeah. climate action thing. And I suppose it's a different understanding of environmentalism. And to be honest, I think, and maybe I, this is a bit rude of me, I think it's quite an outdated, um, old-fashioned kind of idea of environmentalism. Like even Prince Charles knows that the two are linked. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's not like it's, it's not like it's something that it was, you know, it's not like it, the fact that social justice includes climate justice and vice versa. Um, it's not like that's an idea, you know, spawned in the, in the young Greens um, in Dublin or UCD. This is, you know, it's widely accepted that the two are interlinked and, you know, you can get down to quite a, a utilitarian approach to it and saying that if you want buy-in for climate action, you need to bring, like, strategically alone, 
Like, even if I didn't care about people and their houses, um, and also if housing didn't have a massive climate implication, even then, to get people on board with climate action, I would coldly care about their houses. Ah, so yeah, it's not, yeah. like, I, I, I often found that that kind of pretending they were somehow separate was just wrong. Well, I don't think it was so much saying they were separate, but it was where the greater emphasis was on. I mean, just comparison that may or may not be a good one. Say, for example, within Sinn Féin, you must definitely have some people who place a greater emphasis on social justice and you have others who perhaps would place a greater emphasis on the national issue. And do you know what I mean? So in, yeah. in, I think what people are talking about is where the emphasis was and that perception was there that, and it turned out to be a younger cohort, but one wing of the party was more uh, focused than perhaps some of the more established members on, on that element of things. And as I say, the, these perceptions, they, they come to light outside the party and it's always difficult to know how much of it is, is based yeah. on um, what's going on, you know? Yeah, it, there was that. De- that was definitely happening within the party, this idea that the two were somehow unlinked. Um, and there was a resistance to the idea, I or I found the resistance to the idea that if you were selling it purely as a political idea, you have to show that climate action makes people's lives better. Um, or you, you just won't. Like, if you're saying, okay, we're going to change this, we're going to become a political party, get seats, and that's how we're going to take action on climate, then you have to get people to buy into it. Um, and people do focus on, like, in front of them every single day, the, you know, the things that really, you know, you can't push to the back of your mind, like kids and school and health and housing. Um, and within all of those, of course, there's, there's ways you can shape those policies so that they're also environmental policies. Like environmental policies, I like. I don't think the environment should be a separate uh, department. I think it should be an overarching policy that the government is has to kind of, you know, that all other policies have to pass through this sort of environmental framework. Because otherwise, it, I suppose you'll end up turning around and saying, oh, well, that development actually is really not very environmentally friendly at all. Um, and it is, you know, like planning and transport is is a really big example of that, of how, you know, environmentalism has to be baked into it and can't be just a separate set of policies because it doesn't make sense if it is. Absolutely. No, then there's the bigger issue of the environment, climate change, and quite frankly, how much the public in general are buying in to the fact that there will have to be a major change in lifestyle, in economy, right as you point out, right across all policy areas. I have to say, Saoirse, I'm a small bit cynical in this respect, and it really struck me in the last election. Um, if there really had been buy-in, and notwithstanding what differences there may be within the Green Party, the Greens were the only party that represented uh, a, a, a move towards major change on the environment, irrespective of the impact that would have. Well, not irrespective of it, but taking account that it was required. I don't. I honestly don't think any of the other parties were anywhere near them in that respect. Yet, the Greens did not do well. Sinn Féin did well, and they did well on the back to a large extent of what might be otherwise bread and butter issues, health and housing, for example. Uh, the people saw as more immediate. And... 
to that extent, what do you think of the proposition that basically we are not going to address climate change anytime soon because there is not the political will as interpreted by people's priorities to actually do what is required, which will involve changing standards of living, changing lifestyle, etc., all of that. It's just not there yet as far as a big mass of the population are concerned. Yeah, I, like I think that's true. And I think a big mass of the population can't imagine what it looks like because it is, um, it's often kind of painted as this future of uh, abstinence and frugality and you know, even ideas like, like even the fact that growing the economy is still unquestioningly kind of accepted as a good thing, regardless of who captures that growth. Um, but I do think that there is a big opportunity in creating, um, creating a vision that people can buy into. Because I think I find it myself. It's really difficult to imagine what a world where we live in a way that is not just neutral for the climate and the environment, but good for it, that will repair a lot of the damage we've done. And I find it hard to imagine, but I found um, the way in the States, the, that whole push around the Green New Deal, and you had the Sunrise Movement, and you had um, those little animations built, which, you know, the, those little story animations, which showed this kind of pie in the sky, um, but also very achievable actually future um and that really gained traction in the US in such a short space of time it really captured the imagination um and obviously it has all the historical kind of connections with the new deal and you know jobs and everything like that but i i've often felt that something similar here in ireland would be good because now if you talk about the environment like the main the the kind of shared imagine imagination and the shared picture of it is more taxes um and is less coal burning or something like that and it's not very it wouldn't enthuse you at all um so i think like right now there's very or there's a kind of a low amount of support for it but i don't think that's like i think that could change very quickly if the right picture of it got out there yeah i suppose presenting it there's a there's a lot for that but I still find it difficult to get away from the fact that the change that is required is going to mean, particularly for older sections of society, far more so than younger, because they've probably a greater stake in society at that stage of life, but that the change is going to be such that it will change standards of living, lifestyles to an extent that you just wonder, are people prepared to accept that. I mean, for example, so-called climate change deniers, personally, I think a lot of them are, are, are that way on the base of they don't want to accept change rather than that they don't actually understand or believe that we have an issue there. Do you know, do, do you know what I mean? I, I still want, like, for example, do you sense that in a younger generation there would be greater enthusiasm or greater willingness to, to, to face up to the kind of changes that are required? Yeah, well, I, I suppose, I like, for me... Um when I look at the the life I have and the life I can feasibly, if nothing changes, imagine having, um, I'll be probably renting forever. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'll ever have kids because I, I just can't imagine being able to muster that sort of 
the financial ability to raise kids, never mind um, having to get out, feeling like I had, I'd have to own a house to have them. I can't imagine having a pension. And so I think like if you look at people in my own generation, the idea of change is actually quite exciting um, because, and I, you know, and I understand people in your own generation, obviously there's a lot more security there. There's a lot, you know, you hold an awful lot of the wealth. Um, ye are, or, and I'm not saying ye, but I know, oftentimes, I know what like, you, mean, you know, that. if you look at like who owns the property. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. There's no question. Yeah. And so I like I do think like, look, so Sinn Féin got a massive support in the last one and their whole thing was change. And it was unspecified, but change, change, change. That's what it was going to be. And so I, I don't necessarily accept the fact that we would have to have a reduction in the standard of living. I do accept it would mean that we would have to reduce the amount we consume. Um, but it doesn't mean that we, you know, wouldn't end up having more time on our hands and better quality things and, you know, neighbours that weren't struggling. And I th- I, def- I I truly believe that through climate action, there are ways to make the whole world better. Um, because if it, if we keep going the way we are going, you know, climate breakdown aside, um, like, you know, I would hate to be rented. Like, so if I look at myself in 40 years, if I'm still alive, I'd be 70. And what would I be renting and looking forward to a state pension, probably. Um, and that just feels really grim, doesn't it? It does. It, it, can, it can all feel very grim. Yeah, but well, as well, and you know, the, 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 there is a case to be made also that, for example, your generation is the first in an awful long time who possibly, on the way the, the, the world is at the moment, face the prospect of being less well off than your parents in, in, in general terms. And that can be a, a driver for change as well, I suppose. I was just going to say, well, we already are comparative to our parents at our age. Um, like, even to this day just yesterday I'm I'm applying for jobs but looking through them and they're like oh you have to have five like and it feels like a meme at this stage but like five years experience required uh, and it's a year unpaid internship and you're like no <laughs> no thank you um yeah you know it's preposterous really it is oh yeah I understand perfectly and there's no doubt um most particularly since the the uh the last recession that a generational divide is opening up that is completely unequal in an awful lot of ways. I think there's no question in the world, but particularly to do with housing, but not exclusively by any means. Um, after you, uh, I think it was when you left the Greens, Saoirse, you said that you, at this stage in terms of where you were at, you didn't see electoral politics as being the most optimum way of addressing environmental issues and that. What what would you see as the best way from your point of view and, and overall in that respect? Well, I, I suppose that comes back to what we were just talking about earlier in that I believe, now obviously there's a few exceptions, that any politician we have in the doll is only as strong as the support they have outside the doll. Um, and any idea in the doll is the same. Like you're not going to get past something that you know, the bigger parties don't see any way that they could lose seats if they vote against it. Um, And 
and the bigger parties because they have it's really weird when you actually think about it, what a party is is this group of people who are like we always want to be the ones representing everyone else um and if that's their their ultimate goal which it is is to be elected then they will always kind of go with where the public is going so is that democracy <sighs> is it well is it i don't know in 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 general terms going where the public is going ideally you lead rather than follow yeah. but isn't, isn't that back to the basics yeah. of whether or not the appetite is there to tell people what they need to know rather than what they want to hear? Yeah, and I and I suppose and it does go like a, a lot of the issues I think with our democracy are specific Ireland specific ones. You know, they're, they're everywhere. But even just how different parties interact with, you know, their comms and and how they interact with bills. Like, do you remember in the last government, it was always the money messages, which is, you know, technically quite undemocratic um but so what i suppose i meant by that was you know i think i could and i haven't really to be honest done much over the last year um what i had been imagining was getting a few people together um and going back canvassing but not for any candidate because when you're canvassing you'd be talking about something and people would be agreeing with you and then they'd say yeah and it's the immigrants and you'd be like no no it's not but you know and it, it kind of it always felt quite cheap you're just like shoving people leaf flipping like just whatever vote for me yeah think whatever you like yeah um and i i do think that the public is quite infantilized by our government and by what and well by our by all our politicians in what they'll tell them and what they want to hear and they 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 lie through omission and being in certain photo shoots as to what they believe in and what they vote about. Um, so what I thought, what I my plan at the time, and then COVID kind of scuppered that was to just start canvassing in Mayo, but just to have have conversations about several different things, and it would include the environment um, as a way to just start, just to start people talking about it and thinking about it, um, because. I I think yeah, canvassing. Even though it does give you a platform, but canvassing for an election is. I don't know. It just feels. It feels like everyone is lying. It's a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. I I think you'd find an awful lot of people would agree with you on that, irrespective of where they're coming from. Um, that old thing about uh, campaigning in poetry, and you can get lost in poetry too. Like you know. Um, but you you, yeah. you 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 seem to be suggesting, Saoirse, that you you you'd be more interested in something like um, civil society movements in relation to these kind of issues. I mean, would I be right there? Yeah, and I I, I think without, like we were saying, without without an idea of what a climate changed world and what us acting in ways against that could look like, I think until ideas of that are out there and living and breathing and changing and kind of being interacted with by people. Um, I think you could have a hundred Greens elected and it wouldn't really make a difference. Really? Yeah. You know, I I, I think without... Well, I suppose if you had a hundred Greens elected and... They'd have a majority. Yeah, they'd have a majority. But why would they have been elected? Like, you wouldn't have a hundred Greens elected until you had people thinking, this is what we want. Yeah. Yeah. 
One other thing then, now, it's just an issue facing the Green Party at the moment, and that's the, the Canada Trade Agreement, CETA, as the acronym has it. And there is no doubt it is causing ructions in the party. Some, one councillor left there recently, others have intimated that they may leave if the Greens are to vote for the one. The big issues there, of course, is this thing of investor courts, that if a business feels it has been treated unfairly by a state, it can sue, which you can understand why some people would have a problem with that. But there seems to be a number of people leaving the party, Saoirse, a lot of whom I'd suggest would be pretty like-minded to yourself politically. Do you see anything out there that there could be what you might call a breakaway Green Party or an environmental party um, separate to the Greens that might be more focused in the direction that people like yourself would be interested in? I would be surprised if one didn't develop. Um, I haven't heard yet. Like we obviously it is, you know, come up a few times. We've a few of us have spoken about it. Um, but I would be shocked if over the next few years there wasn't a different Green Party. Like I would be so surprised if the Green Party survived this next election. Um, and there of course needs to be a Green Party and there's a huge amount of environmentalists out there who have been who feel betrayed by the Greens um, and they're added to the the environmentalists who left 10 years ago for feeling betrayed by the Greens um, so I, yeah I'd be shocked if all that energy didn't kind of coalesce into some sort of political another political party and would I suspect that that could certainly make would might prompt you to reassess your um your approach to electoral politics. Could you be swayed to move to run again? I suppose I wouldn't rule anything out. I find like if I was to think now and say, or oh, will I would I join a new Green Party or would I become an independent? I find that I put I put everything else kind of on hold and I I feel like I have to be in public mode all the time. Um, so I, in terms of that, I've just kind of said to myself, I'll think about that in a few years. Cause if I start thinking about it now, it's like, it's like my brain can't handle two, you know, futures at the same time. And I just don't do anything else. Yeah. So you're dead right. I mean, there's an awful lot to consider, especially in these times. Saoirse, Saoirse McHugh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks a million, Nick. That's it for this week, folks. I want to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. Let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.